It's October the 27th, 2022, and this is Curiously Polar. Hello and welcome back to our little show about all things very north and very south. I'm Chris and with me is Henry. He's still on the other side. Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing just fine. I'm uh, uh, setting up new things here. Everything looks different. So for those who are, um, who are watching, don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> New technology involved and everything is, has been taken back to the visual stone age, but we'll be uh, back to normal very soon. Anyway, um, we are here to talk about uh, Arctic affairs today, isn't it? Aren't Absolutely. We, aren't we? Don't we? <laughs> My English is all over the place. <laughs> also all over the place. Anyway, um, Arctic stuff. Yeah, I mean, we're still at the end of the Arctic season and... Um, The good thing is that the Arctic season usually ends with the Arctic Circle Assembly in Reykjavik. And this year was the ninth Arctic Circle Assembly, which was what almost... Is the Arctic season? Let's, let's, I, let's, let's, uh, let's define <laughs> what Arctic season actually means. Because I would expect the Arctic to have more than just one season. This is very true. But um, for most people who are not living in the Arctic, the Arctic has one season. And that's the Arctic summer when it's actually possible to travel to the vast majority of destinations within the Arctic mm. uh, Circle. And that's why usually people refer to the Arctic season as the time between May and September, October. All right. So so the, the season where it is easy to reach or <laughs> easy enough to reach and the season where... We have light up there, right? Absolutely, exactly. That's a, yeah. the main reason why people are traveling there and you actually see stuff and it's getting warm enough that the sea ice, for example, starts melting and makes uh, things accessible. Yeah, stuff like that. Okay, all right. So what's, what's happening up there now? So uh, Reykjavik um, calls for the Arctic Circle Assembly once a year and it's usually mid-October. So it was uh, 13th to 16th of October, roughly a week, two weeks ago. And uh, after the pandemic, we we're almost back to normal, if you can say such thing as normal in the times we have. But it was actually quite a lot of attendees this year. Uh, over 2,000 people came to Reykjavik and uh, joined in Harpa to yeah, exchange information, to, ex uh, yeah, to, to listen to the topics that are relevant for the Arctic this year. And it's the first Arctic uh, Circle Assembly under the, the influence of the war in Ukraine. Uh, we can see a very divided Arctic community with uh, Russian participants um, yeah, mostly absent. Um, and while the very most participants have um, condemned Russia's um, attack on, on Ukraine, uh, the future of Arctic cooperation reflects um, a, a much, much more um, fractured picture so it's not as simple or not as easy as we um, would think so in, in the past the arctic circle assembly was really great uh, as a source of exchange on very different uh, levels from communities um, over science business to media and uh, and politics but this year it really seems like geopolitics has um, have drawn very large shadows and literally every topic discussed was in one way or another connected to the new change geopolitics uh, of the Arctic. 
and that's something that's um uh, yeah you you could really feel uh, feel on the floor you can feel with the people um interactions um the russian participation in a conference this year was almost non-existent um military security concerns in the arctic were a very very common theme amongst many of the the panels um at the assembly and the overall shape of arctic security um was really um yeah um, a recurring topic military uniforms popped out very very often this year it's also something that is not very very common for the arctic circle assembly usually you have a lot of dark suits of politicians executives and uh scientists and this year was really for me the first time that you see i can see it also very clearly on the pictures um you can see a lot of uniforms um the conference also drew a record number of uh, u.s officials and they came with a very first update to america's arctic uh, strategy um, in a uh, decade and uh, i think we're going to focus on the uh, u.s arctic strategy later on in the um, in, in, in the podcast um, today is really about the overall um, arctic circle and it's very clearly visible um, that for now there is no uh, circumpolar arctic as we have known it in the past 10 15 20 years um in terms of geopolitics and scientific cooperation but it's divided and we have the north american arctic and the U uh, european arctic as uh, nato allies on one side they are forming kind of a new group of the so-called arctic seven and on the other side we have a russian arctic more and more connected with with asia and this leads to what's called um the two arctics you know, we we see a clear division and uh, sarah is that, is that arctic 7 like an official group or it's is a, that just something it's a that term has that has briefed um uh, during last um the last couple of months oh so this is really new okay it's it's new yeah and um it's not an official term in terms of uh, there has not been an, uh, a public statement of all that it's like more um, a term that has been chosen by the public uh, over the seven countries that have condemned um, the war in Russia and have just paused the Arctic Council meetings uh, on a ministerial level. Right. Um, the Inuit Circumpolar Council has a new chair, Sarah Olswick. We had um, a chance to interview her a few years back at the Arctic Council. I think it was uh, the Arctic Circle. I think it was 2019 um when we chatted with her and she reiterated in in her um in her talk that there can't be a solution um to the whole situation without the inclusion of indigenous people and uh yeah just let's um listen to her um i can't play the audio unfortunately <laughs> ah okay oh yeah good um she basically but we we will link that video um, so um, I would suggest everyone to go there. This is the uh, yeah a meeting video from the Harpa from the Arctic Circle Council. Yeah, she um, just clearly says there there is no solution without inclusion of indigenous people, um, as they live across the modern day borders and always have lived. Um, right. So she also says that um, with Arctic democracy uh, under great pressure, the post Arctic Council and its future. Uh, is reason for big concerns. So she really uh, makes a point here. Um, a couple of players have issued um, new or reviewed Arctic um, st uh, strategies, in uh, including the European Union, United States, India, among others. 
and we see a so-called Arctic resource boom that has increased. So it was one um, another topic that uh, popped up. And this has triggered kind of a, a plethora of economic development projects for the region, um, most geared towards making the commercial exploitation of um, those resource, uh, resources uh, possible. And I'd like to, to uh, follow here um, Pedro Almond Mancibo Silva of the Arctic Institute. And um, Chris has just put up uh, his article um, uh, from the Arctic Institute uh, up on the screen and frame the Arctic resource boom as a new wave of Arctic uh, settler colonialism. Greenland's Prime Minister, um, Mutim um, Egede, made uh, in his speech very, very clear that, that nothing in Greenland will be decided without involving Greenlanders. Um, he made uh, a very clear point that everything that goes regarding their resources has been uh, has to go through uh, official channels in Greenland. So he also had a very uh, emotional speech that uh, was received very, very well. And it's very great to see that many officials underline the the importance of the Arctic Council as um, as an important home of Russia West Corporation. So that's something uh, that has come up through many talks that the Arctic Council, so this official body of the Arctic states um, plus the observer states, has played a very huge role of um, cooperation between the Western countries and Russia. Um, not only in the Arctic, but was always a channel that was open to, um, to to find direct lines, even when situations were really uh, difficult. And <clears throat> I would like to to um, remember the 2014 uh, the Crimea crisis uh, when Russia was really um, sidelined in uh, in a lot of organisations, but the Arctic Council still. Um, continued to work and kept the door open and that actually um, helped a lot to normalize uh, communication channels. But despite all positive indicators, the Arctic Council's uh, ability to, to weather the geopolitical storms as we face them now really ended with the invasion uh, of Ukraine that really put um, kind of a, a stop sign at the end of the road. And as by the, the rules of, of the founding of the council, the Arctic uh, Council can only act by consensus. So the war in Ukraine really has put a halt onto the Arctic Council as a body of circumpolar uh, cooperation because there, there simply is no consensus anymore. Um, not only does this pausing participation um, change the future of Arctic relations, but it also ends Russia's participation uh, participation in one of its uh, very few remaining soft power venues uh, capable of meaningful um, international coordination, at least temporarily. We still have a hope that um, something might change for the better uh, for the better there. Um, but just remember, last year when, when when Iceland passed the chairmanship of the Arctic Council over to Russia, the Reykjavik Declaration um, was passed or was um, adopted and the Reykjavik declaration opened with the words reaffirming our commitment to maintain peace stability and uh, constructive cooperation in the arctic and this is just really something that needs to sink in um, there is no logic by which one arctic state threatening another with military force could 
ever be consistent with that commitment. So it, it really takes out the logic behind this consensus, but behind the way the Arctic Council has worked in the past. So the Arctic relationships must start to reflect this um, new, very sad truth. Um, by that, maybe it's time for an Arctic Council uh, 2.0. The signal from the seven Arctic states that have withdrawn from the Arctic Council or paused the ministerial meetings um, is very, very clear. They want to continue the Arctic Council's uh, cooperation, but not for the time being with Russia. So time is now needed to to, to see and to check um, how this can be done in practice. And that has been um, a very intensive discussion on the uh, Arctic Circle Assembly. There has been speculation um, that the West will reshape Arctic governance uh, fundamentally by forming a new international body, um, which is referred to as Nordic Plus. Theoretically, this would um, include the seven uh, protesting states and the indigenous communities of the Arctic. And the interesting uh, thing here is it would also include Russian indigenous people, while uh, the Russian government would not be included. While Nordic Plus would... Um, have shared values and government norms. It would um, really forfeit the institutional uh, legitimacy and uh, progress that the Arctic Council has fostered. Um, and beyond that, very little utility would exist uh, in such an organization if Russia would not be included. So that's um, always something. When we talk about those kind of things, we always have to, to keep in mind that Russia makes up almost 50% of the Arctic region. That's a humongous share we, we, we have here. So um, the majority of the Arctic industry is based in Russia. Um, half of the Arctic coastline, um, almost half of the the population that lives within the Arctic Circle is home in, in Russia. It also dominates uh, the Arctic energy produ uh, production, uh, fisheries, shipping. The Russian Arctic remains very, very critical when we talk about environmental issues, when we think about permafrost, though, when we think about wildfire prevention. With Without Russia in the, the Arctic Council, scientists won't be able to share data between uh, whether observatories, uh, research stations, um, monitoring permafrost in Siberia. Given the, the assets Russia has, any organization governing the region without Russia would be attempting to oversee an area mostly outside of the control of the organization. And that's just really something that makes the outlook of uh, an Arctic cooperation without Russia not really tempting. One could see that this year's um, Arctic Circle Assembly had a very big focus on these security issues and military stakeholders were very much present and, and voiced their opinions very loud. And... Uh, the Arctic Circle has always been um, excluding safety and security-related topics uh, out of its own realm. This annual plenum in Reykjavik might have been the right forum, uh, as a lot of these issues have been addressed there. And we had a lot of the conflict staying out of the Arctic while growing through um, while going through the news. But when you really um, look at the news of the Arctic states then you see a, a very different um, picture. And that's just something um, that baffled me because that's really taken out of the mainstream news um, in Western countries. Uh, when you look into Arctic states, um, national news, you hear a lot um, 
about what's going on there. You see C cables have been deliberately cut uh, to interfere with uh, information lines. Gas pipelines in the Baltic Sea uh, have been attacked. Gas terminals deep in uh, Norwegian uh, mainland have been tracked with large amount of drones. The There's amount a lot, of, lot of pipelines here. There's a lot of this pipelines. Is, this is, okay, I, I, I knew about one, two, three, four of them, but um, this chart that we can see in the video, this is like mind-boggling how many different lines are going between and, Norway and, you can, and other, other countries. You can, can check that right on uh, norspatrolium.no uh, and we put the link in the show notes. Um, yeah. You basically have three big terminal areas in, in Norway and those terminal areas, that's what's the uh, most fragile infrastructure at the moment and you can <laughs> see with arrests going on all over no- uh, Norway, they are focused on the areas of those terminals. And they're always related to drone operations. Um, drone Underwater drone operations. Uh, no, aerial drone, aerial actually. Drones. Aerial drone operations. So um, reconnaissance kind of stuff. Absolutely, wow. yes. So always connected to espionage and, and sabotage activities. It's really incredible to see the, the amount um, of, of those kind of uh, incidents recently. So the, the, the conflict is already in the Arctic. It has moved from Ukraine to the north. And uh, the, the the reason behind that is to cripple, um, on one hand, Norway's oil and gas infrastructure to allow Russia to play this um, economical joker token to pressure the West. Um, but also, it's an uh, information war. We know that, for example, Svalbard is a center of uh, intelligence uh, research. Cutting the information lines there, cutting the uh, internet cables, cuts the supply lines there. We did have, just just a week ago before recording this, we did have an incident in, was it France, where an important uh, international um, undersea cable was damaged, cut, and it looked like sabotage from what I read. And uh, that had, even that, I mean, the, the internet is built so that uh, in case of uh, someone cutting a line, it can automatically route around it. So it's built for resilience. Yes no. It's built for resilience, yes. but we have so much, so much concentration on individual uh, trunks of uh, fiber that um, that did have an influence. That did have a, a noticeable influence on internet connections or here from Europe. But this is also only true for mainland Europe. When you go to the islands, uh, when you go to to the UK, to Ireland, to Iceland, but also all the way up to Svalbard, then this uh, system is very much limited because basically to Svalbard you have two major internet lines. Uh, One of them has been cut by uh, apparently by a Russian fish trawler. So... Right now, we see an aggregation of Russian fish trawlers um, gathering uh, in, in large numbers around those kind of critical infrastructure, which makes you think about that. Um, so we can see what I don't want to actually go into that topic too much. But what you see here, the conflict has already arrived in the Arctic, um, despite officials always claiming um, it's not. So we, we can already see it's already there. Um, it's very, very challenging right now to to say how long Russia will remain outside of the Arctic Council because it's uh, it's really needed badly for the cooperation. Um, many have argued that as a result of the Ukraine war, Russia will for a long time be an outcast in the international system. Uh, if it occupies more regions of uh, of Ukraine, 
or even the whole of a country. That would be really difficult um, to to assess for how long it go, goes back. But even if it would withdraw, it would take quite a while for everything to come back to uh, to to a norm uh, or normal procedure. So under international law, territorial gains from a war cannot be considered legal. Um, so this will continue really to hamper um, relations between Russia and, and most of the states of the world, certainly with all the, the Arctic states. So if Russia continues to occupy parts of Ukraine, that really um, puts a lot of pressure on that. If Russia withdraws, that won't change uh, much. The time span might be uh, a bit shorter but in general, we see still uh, it will take a lot of time to normalize um, relationships. So that's really um, very difficult to to see how development in the Arctic communities, how development of Arctic cooperation actually can really pick up again. Um, many have seen the Arctic region in the past as, as a, a zone of peace, insulated from um, external political disputes. And the Arctic Council was one of those um, forums because security and safety issues have been taken out and uh, the members and the observers were focusing on um, scientific research and collaboration and um, cooperation on community support and so on. The war in Ukraine and subsequent uh, the boycott of the Arctic Council, they will prove devastating to this theory um, of the Arctic as this uh, exceptionalist peaceful region into the Council's position as well. Um, as a, the foundation of Arctic governance. So this is really now um, taking away this this kind of uh, basis of Arctic governance. Um, high tensions among members of the Council will likely mean that that only the, the least controversial Arctic issues in the future will be addressed when the Council reconvenes. So this is really um, crippling the international cooperation um, within the Arctic Circle. So the Arctic Circle Assembly went very, very political um, when the chair of the military committee of NATO, um, Admiral Robert Bauer, um, delivered a very, very blunt and aggressive speech about um, the state of regional security, uh, which included the statement that Beijing uh, was undermining the very, very different narratives between uh, the United States and China over China's Arctic interests. And... China's uh, ambassador to to uh, Iceland was in the plenum, and um, he promptly answered and criticised um, the uh, the statements. And he was um, accusing NATO of um, taking a very arrogant stance, of being paranoid, of not understanding the situation clearly, and. A day later, I think it was, when China's special representative on Arctic affairs, Gao Fang, uh, was holding a speech, and he also eliminated the, the contradictions um, I had for the country's policies in the region. And he said, and uh, let me um, read that up for you, geopolitical competition and confrontation should not impede or interrupt international cooperation in the Arctic. China hopes that the related multilateral cooperative uh, institutions and mechanisms could resume operations soon and people could set up or restore dialogues in cooperation and reactivate the programs uh, already in place. The Arctic cannot 
um, afford long-lasting pause or suspensions or paralysis or whatever you call it of international organizations in the Arctic. This is a clear and strong message I heard in the three days in Reykjavik. I definitely will take this home and share it with my colleagues working for the Arctic. So this is a very, very strong message uh, from the special representative for the Arctic. And it shows the difficulties of um, current geopolitics in the Arctic. He added on later, the Arctic Council is based on the Ottawa Declaration, not a treaty with a legally binding force. So there is no procedure to get anybody out of the council. I really doubt that whether the presidency should be passed on to anybody or that Norway could take over the presidency. So he says that the Arctic Council um, will still be there, but as a different institution if it still consists of the Arctic Seven, but not with Russia, and it will certainly be not supported by China. But these remarks, China acknowledges a model of uh, of two Arctics, so it really understands that we have those seven um, on one side and Russia on the other side. But the key point here is that China, an Arctic Council observer state, has taken their prerogative to declare that should Norway take over the multilateral organization um, or the chair of it and resume proceedings without Russia, it will no longer be operating by true consensus and will therefore be uh, done so that organization just um, ceases to exist or at least would lose its legal um, its legal base, or to put it blunt, uh, China will not acknowledge the Arctic Council without Russia. That's the, the the message we received here from that. And what seems to be clear in this stage is that um, China will uh, inevitably need to make policy um, course corrections in its Arctic interests to better reflect the country's limitations at the moment. Um, and the, the murky emergence of the two Arctics and their uncertain future. Um, but this exchange demonstrates also how cooled the China-US relations are, how cooled down they are, and how those cooled relations are actually spilling over into the Arctic. Um, also, um, the, the very high level of difficulty that uh, China faces as it tries to navigate uh, the political Arctic, much different from... Uh, five years ago when they actually um, issued their own Arctic white paper. Um, so we can really see big, big uh, changes. And the changes will go on. Uh, it really needs to be seen how that will change in the near future with the policy changes uh, happening right now at the 20th National Party Congress of the Communist Party in China uh, just a couple of days ago. So we really see it's a very um, fluid situation we, we see um, within the Arctic. But it also seems that the Arctic Circle Assembly um, is at least a forum to bring the Arctic community and China together under one roof. So it really showed that there is space for communication, um, obviously without Russia, but at least there is communication within that uh, forum. While it's still questionable um, if the Arctic Council will be even able to get China in the same room. So there's really um, a big question mark behind that. Uh, Estonia's <laughs> Estonia's president on, has has on that happy note. <laughs> Estonia's president has actually um, put it very nicely as just that geopolitics in the Arctic is changing. Therefore, we must not only think of climate and the environment when we talk about the region, but also diplomacy and deterrence. Um, it's not all gloom and doom. The Arctic Circle Assembly remains really a forum to exchange 
are numerous topics besides the um, very um, present geopolitical situation we are facing. Um, but it also highlights particular efforts for the circumpolar Arctic, and it does so by acknowledging projects with uh, two prizes. And one is the Arctic Circle Prize. The last couple of years, um, it has been Ban Ki-moon, the um, back then UN uh, Secretary General, who has been um, awarded it, or uh, John Kerry in 2019. And this year's winner uh, is actually the Alfred Wegener Institute and uh, the Mosaic Expedition, which is uh, a very interesting, very nice uh, choice. The Mosaic Expedition was the moon landing for the Arctic, if you if you like. It's the largest polar expedition in, in history. Uh, when in September 2019, the uh, icebreaker Polar Stern set sail from Tromsø uh, to to spend over a year uh, drifting with the sea ice through the Arctic Ocean, um, just basically repeating what um, Friedrich Nansen has done um, decades ago. So the expedition followed in um, Nansen's footsteps. The data was collected by scientists. Um, will now be used all around the globe. And actually, from January 1st, 2023, all data collected through Mosaic uh, time will be freely available to everyone on the planet. And this is pretty amazing for me. Absolutely deserved uh, prize. Really, really great to see that. And it was the hat of the um, uh, Alfred Wegener Institute and the expedition leader of Mosaic Expedition who... Um, received the prize on stage the second award that has been um, given was the or is the frederick paulson arctic academy no arctic academic action award and that has been awarded to uh, professor um, han christiansen and associate professor marius uh, jonasen and they are both working at the university center of svalbard and uh, they got awarded for their project perma meteor community which is sought to build kind of an advanced system to monitor climate change and permafrost conditions in the far north. Permafrost, a very big issue in Svalbard, a very big question. So the system can be used for decision-making and, um, and action processes by local uh, authorities during operational evaluation and um, during extreme weather events and can help also designing local infrastructure um, based on permafrost situation. Uh, as an area that has already seen very severe landslides in the past years, uh, Longyearbyen is really an excellent test site for, for developing such a technology. It also functions as a showcase for the project, uh, but also how to handle climate change uh, in an area like that to provide safer and better living conditions. That's really um, another very nice uh, project that's for absolutely right reasons got this um, this award really Good to see how that's going. Um, if you are interested in more geopolitical discussions, I really recommend um, you to, to zoom into the podcast Polar Geopolitics um, with uh, Eric Paglia. And I'm sure he will release a couple of uh, episodes on this year's Arctic Circle Assembly. There has been a lot going on, so there's a lot of um, food for him. Uh, until, until then, there are a couple of uh, previous episodes uh, tackling Arctic Council crisis, Arctic governance and the new reality, uh, and the future of Arctic Antarctic cooperation. Really, really well researched. A, a great podcast, anyhow, um, and much more expertise on geopolitics than we do. So. <laughs> 
really nice as a as a summary. Awesome. Henry, thank you so much for putting this together. This is a this is the I'm 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 very happy because this is the high level overview that I think we need uh in order to to form an opinion and in order to form like a quick a quick overview of things. So that is uh, that's amazing. Thank you so much for putting that together. Um we are going to be back soon with more um and maybe <laughs> maybe a bit less doom and gloom but hey it's really important to see how these things are connected to each other so that is it you can find us over at curiouslypolar.com you can find us online on the twitters at curiouslypolar and we'll be back soon with more until then everyone take care and bye bye <laughs>